Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 61st episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast with Venus O'Hara. In this new moon episode, we'll be discussing sexuality podcasts. We'll be speaking with Nicoletta Heidegger, licensed marriage and family therapist, sexologist, and the creator of the successful Sluts and Scholars podcast. Then we'll be discussing the book, Your Blueprint for Pleasure. Discover the five erotic types to awaken and fulfill your desires by future podcast guest, Jaya. The episode ends with a guided meditation with affirmations for creatives and communicators. But first, let me share with you my experience as a sexual wellness podcaster. As we come to the end of another year, I wanted to reflect on this podcast and how it's grown in 2023. First of all, let's go back to the very beginning and I wanted to share with you why I created this podcast in the first place. Well, a lot of my followers or subscribers on YouTube had complimented me on my voice. They said that I had a very soothing voice and most of my content on YouTube is sex toy reviews, basically. And I I discovered that people were listening to my reviews to sleep. They were not interested in the products that I was sharing at all. They just wanted to listen to my voice. Another thing I think is soothing about my content is that I make one take videos. So there are no jump cuts or music or anything like that. It's just literally record until I finish. And that's a great um, skill that I have learned and it's helped me a lot with my public speaking. I learned that when I did a upload for 30 day challenge in uh, May 2018, which really helped me with my confidence in front of the camera. But making audio content is a little bit different. I mean, right now, I don't, I've got no makeup on. My hair is really greasy. I totally need a, sh- need a shower. I'm in pajamas. Well, some people might be turned on by that. I'm quite sweaty as well. And so that's one thing. And I do find that when you just press record and there's no camera, I feel that I can open up so much more than what I would do if I was on camera. Because when you're on camera, you also get to see the nonverbal um, body language as well. All of these nonverbal communication, all these different cues. You could see my reaction to certain things I'm saying, whereas there's none of that right now. So it's quite liberating. And even though I received many compliments about my voice, um, I did think about, you know, creating a podcast. But and I have a very good friend who's a very successful podcaster and she was telling me to, to do the same thing. And she was hosting um, podcast courses and it all seemed very complicated to me. I was thinking, do I really want to learn another skill set? You know, I already have a website. I have social media. I have so, um, YouTube And also, I'm not actually a consumer of podcasts. I never listen to podcasts unless some of my friends have shared something with me that they found interesting. In general, I prefer to watch videos. I like to see 
what I'm listening to as well. I'm quite visual, I, I guess. Um, but then uh, I was interviewed by another podcast and we got talking about microphones. And in that conversation, this person told me that they were working with a really good podcast agency. And that seemed to be the perfect solution for me. So I I did the absolute minimal um, 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 minimum um, in terms of content creation. And I started working with this agency and it just was amazing. I mean, for example, they took care of the logo. They did lots of research. They did. Um, they took care of the hosting, even writing questions for my guests at the beginning. And they did guest outreach for me, which was amazing. And I think having someone to do that for you really does help. It definitely helped me. And I would sometimes get these emails from Calendly saying, so-and-so has booked an interview. And I'm like, who's this person? And I would click on their social media links and I could see that they were much bigger than I was and I just hadn't heard of them. So I was kind of like blown away by the, the caliber of the guests that I was getting at the beginning. And the fact that I didn't know them before was kind of cool because I wasn't really, I wasn't starstruck or intimidated. I was just really, really, really flattered. And um, some of the guests that I've had that um, are New York Times bestselling authors. They've given a TEDx um, talk or TED talk and they kind of have the lifestyle or business model that I aspire to have one day. That is to say content creation, online courses and then maybe premium level um, coaching as well. So that's something that I would like. And of course, I would love a best-selling book. I've already written some books, but I have yet to reach international best-selling uh, level yet. So that was amazing. Also, I found, um, so all I had to do literally was just record the episodes and that was it. And another, an agency took care of the rest for me. So it was a minimum. Uh, I didn't really have to learn anything apart from um, yeah, just press record and ask questions, but the questions have already been given to me. And then over time, I'm now, I'm now working, I'm not working with that agency anymore. I'm, I'm outsourcing a lot of my things to another company, but I'm more kind of in control of how things are um, happening at the moment. And it's interesting because I'm now creating my own questions, which, um, which was interesting because I only actually... Um, think of the questions about half an hour or an hour before the interview starts and sometimes I get a little bit nervous at that point I think why am I leaving it to the last minute I bet they're going to hate my questions and often the guests say that's a really good question and I'm feeling really flattered thinking wow if only you knew if only you knew what was behind it or the lack of um, organization behind it but um, I think um, I'm getting better at it um, definitely I feel more, more and more comfortable and I'm really enjoying the process. And the reason why I started the podcast in the first place, um, well, obviously I've told you why I was inspired to do it, but I wanted to create something which was the orgasmic lifestyle. Every day is a climax because I realized that I wanted to share a lot more with the world that goes beyond sexual empowerment and female pleasure. And that those are the, the areas that of, of my expertise and my most of my content. But I believe that sexuality is more powerful when it's presented as a normal a part of a healthy lifestyle, not the only thing, but it's just a part of a healthy lifestyle. That, that, that lifestyle would include things like nutrition, health, uh, meditation, books, personal development, um, etc. So that's how I wanted to present it, because that's how I see sexuality. I don't see it as this kind of 
sordid um, private thing that we shouldn't be talking about. And I really don't like words like naughty or um, what's the other one, sinful. Those are words that I I find that are, are used quite a lot in my industry, but those are words that I do not identify with. That's not the kind of sexuality that I want to promote. Also, I was kind of getting bored with um, just sex, sex, sex all the time. You have to think about how that is affecting me personally. Is it having a good effect on my sexual life? And I think it had a bit of a, to some to some degree, a little bit of a negative impact. I mean, it's like when I was a student, I, you know, my favorite food was pizza. And I was a waitress many times as a student to get some extra money, but I always promised myself to never work in a pizza restaurant or an Italian restaurant because I would get sick of my favorite food. And it's kind of a similar sexuality can become um, desen- I can become desensitized to sexual content at some point. So that's why for me it's important to take it more into a mainstream context and part of a healthy lifestyle. Also in the last few years I've become quite spiritual. So my uh, my focus of sexuality is more on sacred sexuality. Sexuality, how it can empower you in a non-sexual context. That's something I'm super interested in right now the non-sexual application of sexual energy. And I've shared lots about that in, um, when I've talked about um, sex magic with you here. And that's about using orgasmic and sexual energy to manifest, which is something that really, really fascinates me. So it goes beyond pleasure. I'm, I'm into the kind of like sexual power level right now. That's what I'm really, really, really interested in. And um, this year, the the podcast has been growing a lot and I've had some incredible guests who have come to me through different agencies, um, usually from the US, and because um, I've had really good vibes and um, connection with some of the people I deal with, then I get other guests who are coming through the same agent, which is amazing. And um, I'm doing a lot of this on my own right now. I'm outsourcing some stuff, but the decision making and all of that is is me, and um, I haven't been... Um, giving it as much attention as I should. But right now, it definitely needs my attention because of the growth that I am witnessing. I am now going to, um, I'm going to start making four episodes a month instead, because up till now, I've been doing um, full moon and new moon. I love my witchy schedule. Um, But now I'm going to do the third, first quarter and the third quarter as well. And I'm going to make shorter episodes on those days. One will be an erotic story. And the other will be a meditation. Meditation will not necessarily be sexual. Some of them might be, but in general, um, I'm going to I'm going to experiment and explore guided meditations. Um, I've been doing whispered affirmations until now. I really find affirmations to be very, very, very powerful because I think you can you know you can listen to them at, um, during another activity, or you could be sleeping, or even not listening because they're kind of going, being absorbed by the subconscious. However. A guided meditation is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be, I'm going to be taking you on a journey um, and hopefully that will help you to relax. And um, they, some of them will have different different purposes. For example, maybe manifestation, connecting with intuition, healing, etc. So I really want to experiment with that because I'm already, um, I'm already a content creator and teacher on Insight Timer, which is a very popular meditation app that has... Um, I think it has the biggest free library of meditations. I'm doing quite well there. I've got my my non-sexual affirmations um, tracks are on there. And I've got nearly a thousand followers on there, even though I've only got like 19 meditations or something like that. So that that's another area that definitely needs my, my attention for next year. So 
in, in next year, I mean, I've got some amazing, amazing interviews coming up. I've got the next three months covered in terms of guests. And I'm going to be bringing some more um, you know, shorter formats coming out as well with the meditation and um, and erotic stories. And hopefully uh, you will you will have lots of orgasmic content to stimulate you. And I hope that you will be listening. And that's it. So if you have any suggestions or anything like that, don't hesitate to reach out to me at venus at venusohara.org. And you can find my links in the show notes below if you'd like to um, contact me or give me any suggestions. And of course, if you'd like to leave a review, that would be much appreciated as well. So I look forward to seeing you next year with all my new juicy content. Do you want to make your day more orgasmic? Do you want to experience pleasure like never before? If so, check out tracysdog.com. There you will find a range of innovative adult products designed for your ultimate satisfaction. From intimate massages to couples accessories, Tracy's Dog has something for everyone. They even have one of the highest rated sex toys on Amazon. One user even said that it was so good that they nearly passed out. I'm pretty sure I levitated. It was a never-ending orgasm, she said. Having tried many Tracy's Dog products, I can vouch for their orgasmic quality. If you're curious, visit tracysdog.com to elevate your intimate moments. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Nicoletta Heidegger, licensed marriage and family therapist, sexologist, and creator of the successful Sluts and Scholars podcast. Nicoletta von Heidegger, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I'm very happy to have you here. For those who are unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us what you do? Yes. So I live in California and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and I specialize in sex therapy. Um, I would also call myself a sexologist, which just means I, I study sexuality uh, for a living. And I also host the podcast Sluts and Scholars. Um, so mostly I work in private practice and do educational seminars and retreats all around. So what inspired you to follow this path? So I was pretty lucky growing up that I had parents who were more open than most uh, talking about sex or at least supporting me and having relationship with my own body and, and other people. Um, so they never really got in the way. And I don't know if it was because of that or I, I had a great therapist growing up or if I was just kind of born this way. But um, I feel like I've never had a lot of shame about this aspect um, of my life. And so by the time I kind of got to high school, I was, you know, the person that everyone would come talk to and ask questions of around sex and sexuality. And, you know, I my siblings had a babysitter growing up who um, taught me about, um, basically she told me she would never go have sex with anyone unless they went and got tested together. And this was like a novel idea at the time when I was in high school. And so I started using that. And again, it was pretty novel for like high school community. And then by the time I went to college, I kind of kept that up. I worked at the sexual health resource center, knew I wanted to get into mental health. And yeah, the, the sex piece was just a continued personal interest. So 
I worked at like this sexual health resource center, ended up having a, a sex column um, there when I was at Stanford. And uh, yeah, it all just it all just kind of came together. And I I really wanted to help folks get to where I feel like I was exploring, which was feeling less shame and, you know, more pleasure exploration. And then by the time I got to grad school for for therapy, we had one class um, and it was pretty basic around human sexuality. So again, it was a reminder that um, even the field of mental health needed more sexuality talk. And so now it's my it's my mission. Amazing. As when we were talking, that just made me think about the uh, the series Sex Education. Yes. Is <laughs> that is that seem familiar to you? You know what? I wasn't charging at the time, and uh, I should have been making a business out of it. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I love the show. I mean, of course, uh, I love Gillian Anderson. I wish she had better boundaries as a sex therapist <laughs> uh, to demonstrate that sex therapists uh, should have good boundaries. Um, but there's so many great pieces about it that I've I've really loved watching it. So. Yeah, a little bit like that, minus uh, that I should have had a business going in the in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so funny because there's so, so many questions as well about sexuality. And like you say, there's just not enough education out there. And I'm always surprised, I don't know if this was saying the same for you, that other people don't have that curiosity because all the information is out there if you if you look for it. But it's not presented to us in a, in a, in a concise and simple way, but it, it's all there. And people just don't have this curiosity, which is incredible because it's probably the most important part of life, I would say. Yeah, I think sometimes people, you know, that maybe there's that shame, so they don't take that initial step, but then they also don't know where to look because mm-hmm. there is there is so much out there. And unfortunately, there's some, not all the material is of equal standard. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, some people don't know where to look. Definitely. So you're doing so many different things. How do you organize your time? Do you have any tips about time management when you are doing so many different tasks professionally? Um, If you have any tips, feel free to let me know because I'm still working on it. Uh, (laughs) I would say that I'm someone who has ADHD and so I'm always kind of doing a lot of things and it has sort of been my my growth point in the last couple years to um, figure out how to kind of slow down and really be intentional about what I pick and choose. And so I've been on an ongoing journey that's still in progress to make sure I'm sort of picking and choosing things that um, I, I love the title of your the orgasmic lifestyle, right? Because I think of it in this way too, like what are the things that bring me pleasure that are orgasmic, not just in an erotic way, but the things that I do because I want to do, not just because I feel like I should or have to do them. And so that's the way I'm starting to manage my time is to get more embodied, listen to my body, slow down enough to actually check in with it and see what feels like a yes to me. And now this is, I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm getting better. That's something that I've been doing a lot because I do, I have many hats as well. I have like the the YouTube hat, the podcast, the writing, and I kind of, I'm very lucky in the terms of my um, schedule. I don't have many, you know, big um, hard deadlines so I can kind of like choose oh do I want to put do I want to put makeup on today I'll do videos if I don't then I'll write and kind of really respect the biorhythms but I found that that's not really working because I've got so much work to do and I have to just do stuff even though I might not be in the mood for certain things but I recently interviewed Dr. Tara I saw that you did um, something with her as well yeah Dr. Tara and I are great friends and colleagues she's awesome yeah she gave me an amazing tip which really um just it really inspired me a lot. She said, she said that Monday and Wednesday she does one thing, Tuesday and Thursday another, and then Friday social media. And I just thought, wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing. So- yes, I I also do that. We call it chunking. So it's uh-huh. like doing the thing of the same theme 
um, in one day. I think for me, when I was talking about the what feels like a yes, I try to do it in the moment too, but I've been doing it more about like the bigger things that I do. But for me, if I don't put something in my calendar, it's not happening. And so I would say I, I time manage by making sure that like everything, including self-care, is in my calendar. <laughs> oh, including self-care. That's interesting. Yes, because I I need it to be as important, if not uh, and more important than the things that I, I do for work. And if it's not in there being like, this is a committed part of your day, it doesn't happen. I'm like, oh, I can do that later. I can get to it later. So speaking of self-care and scheduling, do you think people should schedule sex? Um, so I had a professor in grad school who kind of challenged this a little bit and instead called it scheduling spontaneity. And I know that can sound a little bit, uh, you know, like those two things are at odds because I think a lot of folks balk at scheduling sex because they want it to be spontaneous. But I don't know how much you talk about this on your podcast, but if you're in a long-term relationship, especially if you have kids, if you work, if you have more responsive desire, spontaneous sex is going to be few and far between. Um, but if we schedule spontaneity, it's sort of like scheduled time for pleasure. And then once you get to that time, you can kind of negotiate either with yourself or with a partner, what do we feel like doing in this moment? And so I do think scheduling pleasure time is important, but I don't love the idea of scheduling sex, at least not the traditional penetrative, like we must have this kind of sex tonight. Um, because then if it doesn't happen, you feel bad about yourself. If you've eaten too big of a dinner, which is why you should have sex before you go to dinner. Uh, but I think it's important that we're flexible with what kind of pleasure we want in the moment, but we do need to carve out time for it if we're busy people. Definitely. So tell us about your podcast. Oh, Sluts and Scholars. Um, so I, I love the name. <laughs> Um, you know, I love the name, except it is hard to market, as you probably know from having orgasm in your title and all the sex negativity on most of the social platforms. Um, that being said, it, I, it, I've had it for about six years now, and I really founded it on the basis of sort of being judged for just seeing judgment about people who are sexual beings. And so I experienced that, you know, for myself, especially in the field of mental health. Uh, when people saw that I was overtly open and talking about sex. And, um, you know, for me, it was sort of like I was at the spa one day uh, with a, a porn performer a friend of mine, the famous Nina Hartley. And we were talking about how, you know, she hasn't been allowed to like teach at certain locations because of like her um, experience in porn. And so we had this kind of lamenting conversation about like, why can't you be a slut and a scholar? Um, AKA, why can't you be taken seriously as a professional, whatever kind of professional that is, and like to fuck? <laughs> mm -hmm. And so it kind of was founded on this basis and has become a podcast for, for and about professionals who prioritize pleasure um, in whatever way that is. So we have sex workers, we have therapists, we have educators, we have uh, burlesque performers, um, you know, authors, anything you can imagine really who who, you know, talk about some facet of, of sexuality and pleasure in their life. Amazing. So with reference to your work as a licensed marriage and family therapist, I have a really interesting question for you. Um, sure. I was wondering about relationships and red flags. How can we know the difference between a challenge you can work with and a red flag? This is something uh -oh. that a lot of people can yeah. living in their lives when they encounter 
conflict? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I think if it's if it's a potential new partnership, um, I think for me, what's important is to make sure that you have spent some time figuring out what your core values are uh, in a relationship. And so, sure, maybe, you know, especially if you're monogamous, we can't get everything we want from one person. Um, but I do think it's important to have a core set of values of like, this is my reason for being like, this is what I want to share with a partner. These are the things I need. And so if you're dating somebody and they're not lining up with those core values and you find yourself making excuses, those might be some red flags <laughs> for you. Um, I think in a long-term relationship, well, actually, let me go back to that for a second. So I will say for people who have already partnered and maybe have some different core values, there are ways to work on it. But for me, the the red flag would be folks who are not willing to work on it. And so especially if you have differences in some of your core values or preferences or styles, sometimes that can be a deal breaker. And a lot of educators and coaches out there will tell you to, quote unquote, date your species, meaning if you want to be non-monogamous, you look for people who are non-monogamous. If you want to be kinky, you look for people who are kinky. But some people don't know that until later or their shame or they don't think they can prioritize sex and pleasure as a thing. And so if you're in a relationship where you have some differing things, you can work with that. You can learn each other's styles and values and language. But to me, the biggest red flag is a lack of willingness, a lack of willingness to put in the work, um, a lack of willingness to um, support each other in being your best selves and prioritizing your pleasure. Um, that to me is like the biggest red flag for me. But I think it's up to each individual person to really get to know themselves and see what the red flags are for them and figure out what their core values are so they can align that with who they're connecting with. Yeah, great. So it's very challenging to know when to make the effort and when not, when to kind of withdraw, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're talking long-term relationship, that can be really hard too. It's sort of like, when do we know if enough effort is enough? Mm -hmm. uh, if that's kind of what you mean. And, and that's a very, I think, personal choice. But like I said, I think you have to ask yourself, how willing am I to put in the work to either accept this difference um, or find a way to bridge the gap in whatever this difference is and how willing is my partner. Um, and if there's willingness, I think, you know, it's a possibility, but you have to ask yourself, you know, for how long and how much am I willing to work on this forever? Um, or do I want to find someone who already aligns on this? And then there might be a trade-off. They may not align with this other thing. Um, of so course, there might always happens. <laughs> yes. Well, for, you know, and and for me, um, I've chosen to be non-monogamous, and so there is still effort and things needed for each person I'm connected with. But I think it's helped because I really have embraced the fact that no one person can provide everything, even if you are monogamous. That it's important to make sure that you have other people, places, communities to help you feel uh, connected to yourself and the world at large. Otherwise, we put so much pressure on that one person to be our best friend, our lover, our confidant, maybe our business partner, our, you know, co-parent, whatever it is. And and that's, I mean, if that were a job description on a website, like who would fill that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's challenging. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it certainly is. And, and I've been in that space myself of trying to figure that out sometimes too. So, but I usually go with like figuring out how much work I'm willing to put in. Yeah, I think it's good to know your own boundaries and where your limits are in terms yeah. of what you're willing to give. One question I have personally right now is kind of intriguing me. Um, 
you could help with this. Do you think sex and intimacy can help heal the non-sexual aspects of a relationship? Um, you know, I, I do. Um, I would say I was actually talking to someone on my podcast recently and they were saying in their coaching business, they have found that people who have better sex, that the other parts of the relationship feel better versus the people who like everything else lines up, but the sex isn't great. Oh, um, uh, that, that was that was her opinion. Um, I would say that um, in general, sex is not like a magic wand fix. So it's not like, you know, if you're having an abusive relationship or like other things are, are really not feeling connected, but like maybe you have some great sex. I think probably not because then that can just sort of feel a little bit more like a roller coaster. Like we have this sort of high, high connection and then everything else isn't feeling good and integrated. Um, but I will say that if it's done intentionally, sex and sexual exploration can be a great experiential tool and technique to figure out more about ourselves, our shadow parts of ourselves, our partner, their shadow parts of themselves, their traumas, you know, what what they like, what their love language is, how they like to be connected. And so, you know, just kind of sex outright, I wouldn't say that's like the fix um, for most people. But if we're approaching it in this intentional way as like an adventure to get to know ourselves and a partner and to then take what we learn from that and and ideally with the help of a coach or therapist, figure out how we can kind of integrate that into our broader relationship, into how we communicate, into how we show up for each other, into what we need from each other, then I think it can be a great healing mechanism. And I feel the same way about kink and BDSM exploration, that it can be a helpful healing relational tool. Um, Ella, as well, that's an interesting point. How, do, <laughs> how can kink in it? That's a really interesting uh, point there. How, how do you think that can be? Yeah. So again, you know, kink and sex are not therapy or a replacement for therapy, but I do think they can have these great healing mechanisms. And so kink and BDSM specifically can be an avenue where folks can come back to play, mm. uh, a sense of play, a sense of exploration, um, sometimes of the the pleasant, beautiful, positive things, sometimes of really difficult feelings and sensations. Um, it can be an opportunity for us to create a container to re-narrate things that we haven't liked in our life, um, to be able to have sort of a corrective experience. So just to give an example, let's say someone has gone through something that felt traumatic or was traumatic for them um, and felt out of their control. In kink and BDSM, if done intentionally and with insight, you can re-narrate and curate a scene or an experience where you're able to explore themes of that traumatic thing that happened, but instead now you're in control. You're yeah. in charge and you get to have it in a different way. You get to be the person who says stop and when and how and, and reconfigure it and create these new neural pathways through play and experience um that can be healing in the body definitely and i found that um role play can help with that kind of exploration of other people without being polyamorous because i mean i don't think polyamory or open relationships are for everyone but everyone might have right. this you know curiosity to experience different people different personalities so it's kind of a good way to to do it through kind of kinky role play or what have you kind of you know yeah and and for, for folks listening who are like, you know, I don't know how much your listeners are into kink and BDSM, but 
I think if you aren't super familiar with it or you have assumptions about it, a lot of people think it's just like dark pain in a dungeon with whips and leather and latex. And like, that is one option <laughs> for how to explore it. But I really consider it just sensation play in an adult playground format. And so really, it's just like exploring different sensations and coming back to play. Because most of us as adults have like forgotten how to be playful, have forgotten that sort of childlike sense of wonderment. And so kink and BDSM is really just an opportunity to play again, whether that be like you were saying through role play, through something else. Um, and play has a lot of, you know, uh, researched benefits on how it creates new neural pathways and can impact, which, which means like our brain's ability to change and, and um, you know, it, it has a lot of benefits. And so there is research about this too. Right. Um, so um, for couples who are struggling to keep the passion in a long-term relationship, do you have any, do you have a top three of tips that, that you could share with those people? I guess maybe a lot of people come to you for therapy yes. this is going through this. Oh, yeah. This is like one of the top things that come to me in my office, I would say. Um, okay. So a few top tips. Um, one is, I mean, this is going to sound so basic, but it is so key is, is communication. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are expecting to have great sex over time, but they're never talking about it. They're mm -hmm. not talking about what they want, how their desires are changing over time, what they're interested in, um, their fantasies, their desires, because there's a lot of shame. And so if you're struggling to communicate about it, get a sex therapist, get a sex coach, listen to some of these podcasts to help you blame us, to help start a conversation. Um, there's also some great apps out there. Um, I even created the questions for a colleague of mine, her app called Lovewick, and um, it prompts you with questions to ask each other. Um, so communication is, is going to be key over time. Second, I would say is... Um, figuring out what your erotic style is. Um, and this can change over time. So you may have talked about this on your show. I'm not sure, but a few ways to do that. One is to figure out what your erotic blueprint is. Mm -hmm. So erotic blueprint was founded by a, an educator named Miss Jaya and her team. Um, so you can just search erotic blueprint. There's quizzes and articles you can take to kind of figure it out. But it's, um, have you talked about this on the show before? I'm going to be interviewing her every uh, month. Oh, oh, great. Okay. So, so stay tuned. Stay yeah. tuned for Miss Jaya. Um, she's awesome. Um, but the erotic blueprint kind of helps you figure out like, kind of like what your love language is in the sexual realm. Um, why that's important is because I think a lot of folks over time, usually when we're first attracted to somebody, I don't know why we do this as humans, or if you've experienced this as well, we find somebody who's opposite to us in a lot of ways, um, or the yin to our yang, you know? And so at the beginning, that's really exciting, right? It's hot, it's spicy, there's difference, like something attracts us to them. And then over time, we're like, well, why don't you like what I like? Oh. You know, why aren't you interested in what I'm interested in? So then a lot of people think something's wrong or they're not uh, compatible anymore. And so uh, if you can figure out your erotic style, it may not be that you there's something wrong or you're incompatible, but rather you speak a different erotic language, much like we speak different love languages. So that's one way. Um, a second way that I think was created by a colleague of mine named Dr. Jess O'Reilly, um, she talks about your core erotic feelings. So this is basically figuring out what are the feelings that I need to feel before, during, and after uh, 
pleasure, to be open to the idea of pleasure. So do you need to feel relaxed in order to be open to connection? Do you need to feel emotionally connected? Do you need to feel confident? Do you need to feel um, special? Do you need to feel degraded? Do you need to feel surprised? Um, and, and really getting clear on like what these core erotic feelings are to help you map that out. Um, one other tip I would say is really figuring out what your sexual narrative is. Um, the way I do this with clients is through this approach called the circles of sexuality. And it kind of helps people uh, figure out what their sort of life sexual story is. Like, how did you end up uh, to this place? Um, last tip that comes to mind is put in the work. <laughs> I think we've been taught in this romantic comedy uh, upbringing that if you love somebody, that that's enough. I'd like to believe it's enough, but I don't usually see it being enough. And so much like anything else in your life, if you're put in that those 10,000 hours into it, you're going to get results. And so people think, I think that you should just like either be good at sex or not. And, and then they get hard on themselves if they feel like they're not quote unquote good at it. But great sex is something you can learn. It is a practice. It's something that needs to be practiced. And so we're talking books. We're talking podcasts. Wow, excuse me. We're talking classes. We are talking um, going to someone to get some help. Like this is something that you can learn. This is something you can practice. Um, but you have to decide to make a commitment that you're going to put effort into it. Um, and so, you know, I talk about lots of resources on my show, but um, there's so many great ones out there. So I almost feel like it's less about the resource and more about the willingness to actually put in the effort and the work. Yeah, I think there's a big um, challenge there with perception on relationships, like the flow versus work. I mean, I think people sometimes yeah. expect there to be a natural flow and there's in things to be effortless. And mm -hmm. then if you have to put work in, it might not be the right person, the right relationship. What do you think about that? Do you encounter that with your patients? Oh, all the time. But but I think it's because we're taught that, you know, we're taught not to talk about it. We're taught that either you're like good or bad at it. Um, and because no one's talking about it and and we just put ourselves into these categories, um, not a lot of people have the education or know that there's tools or feel like they have the permission to use the tools to have it be any better. Um, and I think we've also maybe been taught that because of shame around sex, that it's not something we should prioritize. That it's not something that we should say is important um, or match the effort. Like, if, you know, I think if you grew up in a culture of that prioritized capitalism and work, when we think of play and pleasure, that becomes less important. I mean, you said you're living in in uh, in Spain now, so I think different cultures have different um, emphasis on how important downtime, play, and pleasure is. But at least in the U.S., it's not very important. Definitely important here. I've got about, I think, 19 bank holidays a year, something, you know, so like every week so nice. something going on. I think advantages of Catholic holidays, you know, there's so many, so many, uh, and also siestas and uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. fiesta is definitely prioritized here. And what about um, discrepancies in desire? This is something that's quite common. And also just finding that time where both of you are on the same page. How do people overcome this? Yeah. So, um, I would say this kind of fits into what we were talking about. And for folks listening, I just want to normalize that uh, if you're in a relationship, you probably struggle with desire discrepancy because you're not with somebody who is exactly you. And so 
When we say desire discrepancies, we mean, you know, wanting to have sex at different times with different frequency in that time of day, maybe wanting the sex to look a certain kind of way that might be different. Um, the way we approach it, how we want to feel, those blueprints, those core erotic feelings. Um, there's everyone I see in my practice probably struggles with this at some point. Um, and most people I know in relationship, like I said, experience it at some point. And so if you're experiencing it, it doesn't necessarily mean immediately that something is wrong. Um, it can indicate that there may be differences. Um, but then you kind of have to ask yourself and a, a colleague of mine who has a great book called Hot and Unbothered. Her name is uh, Yana Tallin Hicks. Um, they, she talks a lot about like, do you want to bridge this gap of desire discrepancy? Like, do you want to eliminate it? Do you want to accept it? Or do you want to go away from it and go somewhere else? And so I think you have to decide, how, again, how willing you are to work on things. Um, but most people have these desire discrepancies. So I would say those same tools we talked about before are going to be affected, effective. I would also add to that the tool of figuring out what your desire and arousal patterns are. Have you talked on the podcast about spontaneous versus responsive desire? Not really, no. no. Oh, can I, can I yeah, start? Absolutely. Um, so this is a huge one that I see for desire discrepancies. So um, everybody's body works different, but unfortunately, a lot of the original sex research out there and a lot of our narratives about it um, have been based on cisgendered male um, desire arousal patterns. So what this means is that we've kind of looked at a certain way of being interested in sex and said that that's like the right way. And so if you don't fit into that, then it means that there's a discrepancy or something's wrong. As a result of this, at least in the U.S., there's this misnomer that cisgendered men want sex more than cisgendered women. Um, which is not true. They just may speak a different language. Um, so just to break it down, desire and arousal are two different things. So arousal is just the body's like physical response to a stimuli, meaning like it doesn't just have to be sexual, right? Like if I jumped out and scared you right now, you would have maybe arousal. If I, if I scared you, your heart would start to race. Um, your, your skin would start to get flushed. Um, so arousal is an unconscious body response to stimuli. It is usually out of our control. Um, it happens as a result of responding to some input. Desire is more like the, I would say, like the head and the heart, the wanting of something. I want to do this. I want to connect. Um, for some people, they can experience desire and arousal at the same time. Uh, for other people, they can experience what we call arousal non-concordance, which is a big word that just means um, you can get aroused without feeling desire and you can feel desire without being aroused. Um, and so where this fits into spontaneous versus responsive desire is people with spontaneous desire, and this is usually, I would say, testosterone-driven people. Spontaneous desire is sort of like the wind blows and I have a boner. Like nothing really in particular happens. Um, you're kind of you experience the physical arousal and desire at the same time, and it feels like nothing really happened. But you're like, well, there it is. I'm I want to connect. I'm ready to I'm ready to connect. Responsive desire looks different. It looks more like 
I don't notice that I have desire or maybe even think about sex until my body becomes physically aroused or until I'm in a state that leaves me open to the idea of getting aroused. Maybe you need the house to be clean. Maybe you need to feel connected. Maybe you need to decide if the sex is good enough or worth having. Um, and then once you kind of get into that space, it's like, okay, I'm open to the idea of getting turned on. Then you start connecting with somebody, you start touching, you start kissing, then your body starts to become aroused. And then you're like, oh, I remember that I like this. I want to connect. And so a lot of desire discrepancy happens because often in relationships, we find our opposite. We have one person with spontaneous, one person with responsive. The spontaneous person feels like they keep trying to initiate and the responsive person isn't given enough time to join them. And so it seems like they're uninterested in sex. They don't desire it. Um, the spontaneous person feels rejected and then the loop repeats itself. But if we're aware of these differences, we can figure out what each of us need to get to that place of wanting to connect and um, not just putting people in box of like high libido, low libido. Oh, that's really interesting. I've never heard it explained before. Oh, I hope it was helpful. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. One Next. thing that popped in my mind as I was talking about it too in terms of tips, and I feel like this is quite an obvious one, but um, nobody wants to have sex that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that being said, we don't always have like mind-blowing, existential, whatever sex. Like sometimes it's just like, that was nice. Um, but people want to have, um, I forgot the researcher's name, but she kind of coined this term, uh, sex worth having. Yeah. And so... It, I think that's also a key in keeping things connected and great over time is figuring out what kind of sex is worth having to you. Because if you're having sex that doesn't feel pleasurable and fulfilling, of course, you're not going to want to be having it. So what kind of sex do you want? And then that's a whole nother conversation where people are like, well, I don't know. And then then they get to go on this journey we're talking about of, of figuring that out if, if they give themselves permission to. Yeah, and it's about um, just being aware of your own desires and then and communicating them, I suppose, and then knowing the other person's. Because I think we, we kind of project our own sexual being or identity onto other people and just assume everyone's yeah. like us or if they're acting a certain way that that's how we would act in a different, in the same situation. Yeah, and I think a lot of us in that same vein also like put our pleasure into other people's hands mm -hmm. um, where they, you know, especially for or women, um, I think we're sort of taught that like partners are maybe the gatekeepers of pleasure for us. And so a lot of us think about like, well, you're supposed to give me an orgasm. You're supposed to turn me on. And I think that's really an unfortunate misstep in taking ownership of our own pleasure and figuring out what we need and like and enjoy so that no one else is a gatekeeper, but also we're able to help people connect to our pleasure, help people you know, tell, teach people what we need to be in pleasure and to be orgasmic as opposed to like, you're supposed to give that to me. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a few songs. Uh, I think there's one by Little Mix about um, shout out to your to my ex. Is your new girlfriend like faking it like I did? That, that's, that's such a negative message. That doesn't say he was a bad lover. It's saying you didn't communicate what you wanted. There's a real, you know. Yeah. Or, or, or he didn't, wasn't responsive to when you did communicate. Yeah, but I think it was like in the context, it was more like, you know, their fault if we were a bad lover. It's, I think it just right. definitely, definitely 
Yeah, it's a collaborate. It has to be a collaboration. Absolutely. Um, that's part of my work as well as a sex toy reviewer. Because I'm trying to kind of get people yes. to connect with or prioritize their own pleasure, you know, and uh, especially well, who yeah. who just they've just like broken up with someone, you know, to think that's a kind of a good time to get a sex toy. <laughs> what's your? You probably already said on the show, but what's your favorite right now? Oh, I have, I have toys all over the desk right now. Um, I think my go-to has to be the Satisfier Pro Two. <gasps> I love Satisfier. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to get on board with this type of stimulation, but now this is my go-to. Um, whenever because I mean I'm getting new toys every week. I've just love got it. a delivery today of four toys, so I cannot really have favorites because there's always new stuff to try, and I have to try mm-hmm. stuff ter- several times. Yeah, just different moods for different. Yeah, things. but it's also to kind of get get to know the different um, features of a toy. You can't just do one test and then that's it, you know, because I have to review and. I'm designing as well, so I have to know all this stuff. And, and I'm always looking for new t- st- types of stimulation. For example, a company in yeah. China recently wrote to me and they sent me all these, these different toys. Which one do you want to try? And it's one that's like biting with a tongue. So I'm like, okay, I want to try that just because I'm just interested in the in- innovation side of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a good point. I think not to say that you should continue engaging in something that doesn't feel good for you, but I do think we can sensitize our bodies um, two new sensations. So if you haven't been self-exploring or you haven't like tried this sensation, it's worth allowing your body some, a few experiences to get your body sensitized to that sensation. Because sometimes people will try something and they're like, I didn't like it. I didn't feel anything. But our bodies sometimes need more time to acclimate to a stimuli or a a sensation. So again, not, not in a non-consensual way, but like Give yourself some time to like try something a few times. I totally agree with that because I got my first rabbit vibrator after the Sex in the City. I saw that. Episode. Yes, of course. I just broken up with a boyfriend, and I was like, I need to get, I need to kind of stop this pattern of toxic relationships of amazing sex but emotionally toxic. And yeah. um, so I thought I got a rabbit, and I came home <laughs> and I just tried it, and I was like, it doesn't do anything. And I kept trying over six months, and one day. It's about, had this and look at me now 800 toys later you know <laughs> but I'm so happy I, I was patient so I, I equate it to joining the gym you know you can sign up to the gym but you've got to go every day you know you've got to kind of like not go every day but like you get into your flow exactly and just like be regular there you can't just sign up and expect to get the results but you have to put the effort in yes so getting the toys not enough <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> gotta engage and definitely take control uh, what, good, what great what fun lives we have I know. It's so much fun. And I've just been reading a lot of books over the last few days. And I just think this topic of sexuality is so vast. I'm sure you experience this as well. Like I'm always learning new things like what you, how you described the the response of desire and that's mm-hmm. and, um, arousal. That's just something that's new to me. So I just find it's, it's never ending. Um, you yeah. never know everything. So yeah. what are you working on at the moment? Um, so I think like we were talking about before in terms of time management, um, I'm often sort of pulled into like, well, what's next? I want to do something else or like, what else can I be doing? And I'm I'm sort of where I said I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And so I have a private practice, which is, um, you know, very grateful that it's quite full um, where I, I have a waiting list. And um, in addition to sex therapy, I also do something called equine assisted therapy which is therapy with uh, with horses uh, or with the assistance of horses to help people work through emotional issues. Um, and so my therapy office is at a ranch, which is really cool. We have horses, pigs, goats, sheep, uh, all kinds of things. It's a, it's a quite unique thing. Um, 
and I have the podcast and I do, you know, other sort of educational outreach. And so I feel like I'm doing what I want to, what I said I wanted to be doing. But because of the culture we live in, in that sort of capitalistic rat race, um, I feel that pull of like, well, what's next? And so I am sort of in this space of like, is there actually something I need and want to be working more on? Or like, am I working on it already? And so I would say I'm I'm working on figuring that out, but I'm, you know, kind of focusing on my private practice, focusing on, um, I do some retreats and intensives for people. So I do therapy with folks who are in, in California um, and coaching with people, you know, around the world. And then sometimes people also will come into town and do like an intensive with me like a day or a weekend. So that's something I've gotten more excited about lately is doing more intensives with people where we can really kind of dive in, spend some long time together and do some cool experiential stuff. Um, I'm also getting more into just learning about different embodied approaches uh, like Tantra, like breath work, like um, even sort of, you know, which I'm not allowed to do in my therapy practice, but like touch work and just kind of being more curious about that because I find that the sort of traditional sex therapy training is very heady um, and doesn't include a lot of the body, which is wild because sex and pleasure is something where we need the body. So lately I've been focusing a lot on different sort of trainings that are kind of outside the box that really include the body, um, that help people to get more embodied. Um, that's sort of a, a big passion of mine. And I would say the other thing, I've sort of become um, specialized in treating people who have unwanted pain during sex, uh, so pelvic pain. Um, and that is something I'm, I've become really passionate about, sort of helping advocate for um, ways that our medical system has kind of failed in helping treat and support folks who have that experience. Um, so that's another thing that um, I'm, I'm working on. Amazing. A couple of quick questions for you. Sure. What's the book that changed your life? Um, what is the book that changed my life? Or if you can't think of one, what's your favorite? Yeah, man, I would say um, two books, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, it's a little dated in the sense that it's called Man's Search for Meaning, but uh, Human's Search for Meaning, I would I would, you know, say it's talking about. And, and he was a psychologist, psychoanalyst, who most of his family died in the Holocaust. Um, and I, I'm Jewish and um, also, you know, it talks just about mental health, but it, it talks about this sort of existential struggle of creating a life of meaning. Um, that book, I think, was really key for me. Um, and another one more more recently um, from a um, another person at Stanford wrote a book called um, When Breath Becomes Air. Um, and it was actually published um, post, how do you say it, post posthumously, like after somebody passed away, um, they wrote this book while they were dying. Um, and it's also kind of, clearly I like books that are um, sort of dark and, and death-like, uh, but ones that really sort of question the the essence of being again and that, and that kind of like life worth meaning and what's important and um, those types of things. I would say those two books have been very meaningful to me. And then, you know, a more recent book of things I already have been sort of teaching, but just a one that I refer to all my clients that is so key is Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Mm, excellent. I'm always looking for, I always do a book review in every episode, so I'm always looking for new tips. Oh. So I ask this question. Yes. Um, so which phrase or affirmation do you live by? 
Um, I have a quote actually tattooed on me, uh, very cliche. Um, it says, uh, nothing comes from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandfather used to say that it's also like part of a lyric and sound of music. Um, but it's kind of like what we talked about, right? Like you can't expect to kind of do the same thing you've always done and expect a different result. So like you have to, um, put in the effort, you have to, um, join in and, and show up at the party, uh, in order to, to make changes and, and make shifts like that. Um, I'm also really inspired by a poem that I learned about in college when I was taking a a mindfulness training, um, Love After Love by Derek Walcott. Um, I come back to that poem all the time and there's a a great line in it that says, you will love again the stranger who was yourself. Oh, that one. I always like get tearful when I read it. Mm -hmm. Um, those two are great. And then kind of just my own, um, my own, it's not a quote, but I just think a lot about like the sort of foundations of the the mission of my life, and I would say that includes like pleasure, play, um, presence, and how those things create power. I'm sort of P P P. I love that. P P. I love P. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find you? Thanks for asking. Uh, well, firstly, thank you so much for having me and and for asking um, such insightful questions. Um, if you're interested in the work I do, you can listen to my podcast, Sluts and Scholars, which is available anywhere you get your podcast, um, or on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, Twitter, Slut Scholars. Um, if you're interested more in my kind of therapy coaching uh, retreat work, you can find me on Instagram at Therapy with Nicoletta, um, or at my website, which maybe you can put in the uh, show notes because a long name nicoletta v heidegger.com perfect thank you so much for joining us today on the orgasmic lifestyle podcast it's really been a pleasure thank you the book i'm reading now is your blueprint for pleasure discover the five erotic types to awaken and fulfill your desires by jaya i was so excited to read this book And that's because I interviewed Jaya last week, actually, and I'd say she's probably one of the highest profile guests that I've had on this podcast, although I have yet to publish our interview. And I have to say I was a little bit nervous before getting on online with her because some of my friends are really big fans of hers and they were probably more excited about it than I was. I was a bit kind of starstruck and I was thinking... Just before we got on uh, online, I was thinking that my questions are just not good. (laughs) I was feeling a lot of... um, um, just not inadequacy, I would say was the right word. And um, I read this book before um, talking to her and I tried to read every all of my guests' books and I realised that, um, you know, it takes real commitment and uh, time to read a book, but I love reading books anyway. So it's kind of good to delve into my guests' um, message and then um, ask them about it. It's a huge, huge, huge privilege and I cannot underline that enough. I have a whole shelf with my guests' Um, books here and the the shelf is getting more and more full which is amazing so this blue uh, the erotic blueprints reminds me of the love languages in that there are five and it's kind of like the love languages is about how you love and this is how you communicate sexually and I think it's a really very good book to kind of discover your own sexuality and how how that interplays with your partners as well and to try and understand each other's 
erotic blueprint to enhance your connection. That's how I would describe it. And um, just going to the the, um, the love languages, which is a book I haven't read, but I'm familiar with the love language concept. And um, for example, one is um, um, physical touch, um, words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, and then gifts. I think for me, I like all of those things. The most important one is physical touch. The least important one is gifts. Gifts are a nice surprise, but it's not something that I need a lot. In terms of the erotic blueprints, if I remember correctly now, is energetic, sensual, sexual, kinky, and then the shapeshifter. I remember reading the definition of each one and I was thinking, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me. And finally, I realized that the shapeshifter was a mix of all of the above. And that's definitely how I would describe myself. She also talks about different stages of sexuality. There could be a stage when you're in resting phase, healing, adventurous, and um, transformational. I don't know if that's the whole list. And then there are also, she talks about different kind of blocks to intimacy as well, the different things that could be um, hindering our experience. But one thing I do love about this book is that um, it allows you to discover what your own blueprint is. And bearing in mind that that blueprint can change over the course of your life. And um, and then it, it there's lots of tips about how it can interact with another, with another blueprint of your partner, let's say. And in no place does she say that um, you're incompatible. I think there's always hope for any type of pairing that is um, that's possible. And it's, it's all about willingness, which is something she underlined in our interview. And I also saw Jaya in um, the series Sex, Love and Goop, which is on Netflix. I highly recommend it because it really opened my mind to sex therapy in general. I used to think that people who go to sexologists or sex therapy, they were kind of like their relationship was, you know, about to end and it was kind of like a last resort and they're in denial that they should, you know, in, in reality, they should really break up. However, this series really opened my mind to that because there were some couples who were clearly, uh, they clearly had issues and they were, you know, a bit irritable with each other and they probably, that irritability or tension had maybe kind of um, stopped them from seeing the other person in a sexual way in an erotic in an erotic uh, light. And over the course of the series, you see how certain couples rekindle the flame and uh, reconnect. And it's very, very, very inspiring, thanks to the guidance of some sexologists and sexperts. And one of them was Jaya. And I really liked her style. Um, I love how natural she is. I love her hair, which um, she doesn't dye, which is very refreshing in our, in the, the day, in the, the, you know, the kind of media um um, zeitgeist of the moment of trying to, you know, um, have lots of cosmetic surgery, fake hair, fake body parts, etc. It's really refreshing to have someone in the limelight um, who is saying no to all those things and who is, you know, offering an image of of natural beauty, which is really, really inspiring. Because also sexuality is a physical thing, so it's nice to kind of um, to see that. It's very inspirational, and um, yeah, I just love her hair. It's amazing. So as we were speaking, I it was um, it was really funny because I usually when I'm asking my client or clients not clients um, my guests questions, I only kind of formulate those questions about one hour to half an hour before we get online. And there are five questions I ask everybody. One is you know um, to those who don't know what you what do you do what you do could you explain what that is to us what inspired you to follow this path what are you working on at the moment. And um, what's the book that changed your life? Which quote do you live by? 
And then where can people find you? So there are actually six questions to ask everyone. So there, there's a bit of um, a bit in the middle where I kind of go into w- what someone's been sharing in their book or um, on their social media. And I usually just do those, you know, just half an hour before. And I was feeling very, oh, my God, I don't know if my question's going to be any good for Jaya. But in the end, I think um, she was um, flattered that I actually knew her book quite well. And um, that's something that some of my guests seem to be quite surprised about, that I actually do read the books. And um, yeah, I think um, reading is a fascinating um, pastime, especially because thinking about how long it takes someone to write, they're writing all of their experience and um, knowledge about a certain topic, which takes months to put down into a, the, um, a book format. And then you can devour that in a week, which um, which is fascinating. I'm really interested in the, you know, transferal of knowledge and how and the implication and how we can apply application of certain um, um, knowledge as well, and how we can apply things to our lives and improve them, because that's the real point of knowledge in general, isn't it? Just not just to know and just read something, but also to apply the lessons of the book. Because the most important part is what happens when you close the book. Of course, of course, only the things that resonate with you. So I'm very excited to share my um, interview with Jaya, which will be coming soon. And if you are feeling that you want to discover a bit more about your sexual tastes and maybe why some things you do like and some things you don't and how that interacts with your partner, I would really recommend this book, Your Blueprint Blueprint for Pleasure. And it also gives lots of tips about how to actually discover your blueprint and different exercises so you can um, distinguish between one um, type of activity or another and you can clearly see which one resonates more with your tastes. And that's it, the book I'm reading now, which is Your Blueprint for Pleasure. Discover the five erotic types to awaken and fulfill your desires by Jaya. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy. success. 
Do you want to make your day more orgasmic? Do you want to experience pleasure like never before? If so, check out tracysdog.com. There you will find a range of innovative adult products designed for your ultimate satisfaction. From intimate massages to couples accessories, Tracy's Dog has something for everyone. They even have one of the highest rated sex toys on Amazon. One user even said that it was so good that they nearly passed out. I'm pretty sure I levitated. It was a never ending orgasm, she said. Having tried many Tracy's dog products, I can vouch for their orgasmic quality. If you're curious, visit tracysdog.com to elevate your intimate moments. find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.